1: and fifty dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms twenty one plus only, Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, DC.
0: This is a more than just podcast production.
2: Welcome to SpotCast Season 4, Episode 20. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuhlein and Mr. and Mississauga. Greetings, children. And we also have Hyman Lopez Jr. on the line in, wait for it, Seattle, Washington. How's it going? to let that sit there for a minute. One, <laughs> one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, and no, we're... no, no, not really a minute, a virtual minute. We're fact, good, Jaime. Cut... How are you? We're fine. It's going pretty well. Anyway, so we will start off with some fact check. Uh, Douglas Gilmore was born June twenty fifth, nineteen sixty three, in Kingston, Ontario. Oh, getting old for getting stuff like that. I know. And then the other children of Kingston. This is just some of them. I just the ones that, that were notable to me. Brian Adams, mm-hmm. Wayne Cashman from the, the photographer you know, Brian Adams. No, no I, no, I don't think he's a... Well, he might have a camera, I don't know. It's, it's some guy who sings songs or Sings songs, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know who he is. Wayne Cashman, who was on the uh, Stanley Cup winning team in 1970 with the Boston Bruins. Don Cherry, right? Paul Coffee, mm-hmm. Gord Downey, of course, lead singer from the... Uh, and of course, I didn't list all the, the tragically hip guys, too, yeah. but there yep. you go. Hugh, Hugh Dillon, who's another famous from the uh, Headstones, actor. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Harmon, who's a singer people like. Jana Hefford, who is Sarah now a mem- Harm Har- Har- Sarah Harmer. Har- 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 Sarah Harmer. Har- 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 it's it's typo. It's like whatever. It's yeah, like. It's Sarah Harmer from. I know. It said Sarah Harmer. Okay. Even though it says Harmon here, but that's you just. Scandalous. A lot of time talking about that. Um, Jana Hefford, who is now. I believe she is now a member of. Didn't we see her inducted into the. No, that was Ken, Wickenhauser, right? But I'm pretty sure Hefford is in the Hockey Hall of Fame.
3: That's a good question. Yeah. I'll. Uh... I'll read you. I'll look that up while you do that.
2: Yeah, John A. MacDonald, who was the uh, notably first Prime Minister of Canada, also has, shares a birthday with somebody on this podcast. Uh, Bruce MacDonald, director. Kirk Mueller, who was also a, I think he was a Montreal Canadian for a long time. Was he, Canadian? Was he a Toronto Maple Leaf at one point? Kirk
3: Muller, yeah, he was, uh, he was both. Uh, yes, Jaina, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 19, uh, sorry, 19, 2018.
2: Yeah. Uh, Harry Sinden was uh, the coach of the Stanley Cup winning 1970 Boston Bruins, but he's also the uh, the coach, Canadian coach of the original, what was it called? Was that the Summit Series? 72 Summit Series, yeah. Yeah, 72. And yeah. David Usher, who Jonathan likes as a singer, or used to at least, at, anyway, at one yeah. point in time. Yeah, You've very, interviewed him a few very times, right?
3: I have, yes. I've met David. He's a very, very nice man and uh, very talented at that. Cool.
2: All right. And I was a little bothered by another piece that Jonathan said "la la la la" in America, and I thought, you know, that doesn't sound like something Stephen Sondheim would write. So it's I went hundred percent
3: of the song. I put it in the link below. I'm
2: gonna have to disagree with you because it may not be in the lyrics, but it's in karaoke lyrics. I looked at the actual stage play lyrics and I looked at the actual movie lyrics. Okay, well, have you played? And they the, don't say "la la la la" in America. That's no, they say "la la la la,
3: America, America."
2: Where? It's in the lyrics. That's the lyrics for karaoke. That's not, that's like saying it's in Wikipedia.
3: Mm. All right. This debate. Yeah, I'm looking,
2: I'm looking. I don't see la 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 in America anywhere. Oh, at the very end. All right. You mean it's like a background vocal or something?
3: Yeah, I think it's just like something that they do in, as they're like, you know, freestyling and dancing.
2: All right. Well, I guess the karaoke world uh, wins uh, over Stephen Sondheim, I guess, you know? <laughs> Look, it's on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? That's
3: true, yeah. I mean, yeah, if it was published on Wikipedia, it'd be more official.
2: Yeah, on that happy note, to, on that happy note, probably is, but let's have a look. On that happy note, let's move to the headlines, and JPK, you're up first.
3: Yeah, so we, we've been speculating about what's going to happen with the upcoming Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. It looks pretty apocalyptic. We know we're going to get all kinds of uh, bad guys from Spider-Man films past. Looks like we're probably going to get other Spider-Men from previous movies in there. But what I had postulated was, wouldn't this be a good opportunity to do the the sort of Death of Spider-Man arc and maybe move past the mantle onto Miles Morales in, in the big screen as opposed to the uh, or in the live action as opposed to the the cartoon universe where we already have a miles uh, franchise and apparently that's not happening so ew.com entertainment weekly had a piece this week where they were talking to the um they were talking about the new movie and they were talking about an interview with um Amy Pascal who's the producer of the franchise and she said this is not the last movie we're going to make with marvel this is not the last spider-man movie we're getting ready to make the next spider-man movie with tom holland and marvel we're thinking this is three films and now we're going on to the next three this is not the last of our mcu movies so we are going to have a new spider-man trilogy and tom holland is not moving on to uh, greener
0: or uh, uncharted pastures if you will Just let that one hang there for a little bit. Thank Wait, you. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitress.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, does, it, does that not... You, are you trying to say he's he's staying with the franchise?
3: Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's... I, I, cool. You know, she didn't say any, anything in here about, obviously, um, you know, what this is going to be, how they're going to do it, but it sounds like they're, they're committed to this partnership between Sony and Disney, and there's going to be three more Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. So interesting. I yeah. guess he's not going to bite the big one in this next movie. So take that off the table, which is almost a little disappointing. I wish he kind of waited till afterwards just because it would have been <laughs> nice. Well, but you know, it's true though. Like you, you kind of want that element of risk. Like maybe they will like uh. in a, in a, a cinematic form, series where they you know killed half the universe and turned a bunch of characters including spider-man to dust you know you got to keep the stakes high right i think it would have been more more impactful to not confirm this before that movie came out
2: well it sounds like they don't understand the whole marketing side of and i mean is that was that really on the table like were people really speculating about the fact that he was going to leave the show or die or whatever
3: i there had been no confirmation of of what they were going to do next with spider i'm pretty
2: sure in the trailer he does actually catch mary jane or whatever her name is as she's falling uh well no we see him just millimeters away from it yeah yeah but But i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna you know how you say projecting right so
3: oh yeah no for sure again we that's the thing if they give us this these long lead-ups we take what we're given and we try and extrapolate right
2: so the question I have though is so Toby Maguire, Andrew what's Garfield? his name? Garfield. Garfield, yep. I mean, like, were they only signed up for three, or did the third movie do so badly that they decided to move on to a different story or a different arc or whatever? Like, why Why would those guys only have done three movies? Because this is pretty much the third or fourth appearance of Tom Holland, right? This
3: is, well, it's the third of his original stand, like, his movies. Yeah, he, he was in one of the He Civil was in, War like, three three Avengers movies, or two Avengers movies, plus uh, Civil War, Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Um. No, they didn't specifically. I, I must admit, I don't know all the details. I do remember I was obviously uh, covering film back when Spider-Man three came out, and there was some discussion about doing a fourth one, but Sony wouldn't commit Maguire, to it you mean, with Tommy McGuire. Yeah, uh, so Sony wouldn't commit to doing a fourth one because. Uh, they weren't sure where they wanted to go with it. And Tobey Maguire was starting to get, you know, show his his age as Spider-Man a little bit. So I think they were a little bit reticent to commit to more. Sam Raimi, who directed the first trilogy, wanted to do four. He wanted to do a part three and a part four and sort of do them simultaneously as sort of one big story that contained the Sandman storyline from that movie and the Venom storyline from that movie. They Sony said no. He said, fine, I'm going to shoehorn all this stuff into this movie, and then I'm done. (laughs) So he did, and Spider-Man 3 turned it to be a bit of a cacophonous mess because he tried basically to do two movies in one, and it didn't work, in spite of the fact that he's a a fantastic director. Um, And so we ended up with a bad three that sort of didn't perform well, wasn't rated well. And then when he left, I think they sort of looked at it and said, okay, well, maybe it's time for us to hit the reset button on this whole thing. And, and that's why they went with the Andrew Garfield. The Andrew Garfield, again, started strong. The first one went, did very well. They got two young actors in, in Garfield and Emma Stone who were sort of, you know, starting to reach heights and they hit them right at their right moment. But then, uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, they killed her in the second one, which was part of the longtime comics lore that that Gwen Stacy dies. But it really backfired, and all the fans were like, oh my God, you killed Emma Stone, what the hell's wrong with you? And I think that that movie turned out to be a bit of a flop. uh, And and just a bit of a downer for people, too. And again, I think from that one, I think they were sort of... uh, not ready to do more and then I think the negotiations heated up around you know the MCU was starting to really pick up what are we going to do and then all that spun into the the Tom Holland version that we know now so but I think it's exciting I mean I you know Tom Holland's uh, you know due respect to to Tobey Maguire and and Andrew Garfield who I think both of them were were you know good Spider-Man I don't think they were bad Spider-Man uh, I think Tom Holland is the best cinematic one we've seen obviously he even though he's twenty five I think now he still looks quite young he still plays quite young well he's certainly uh he's got a very endearing quality and and his chemistry with his his other actors is is great he really captures i think a lot of what you know Spider man is in his performance, but also I think he's he's getting the best opportunities too I think he's getting really good things to do as Spider-Man. So yeah, three more movies. I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm way in. And again, hopefully three movies means three movies that are his. Plus he'll be an Avenger. Plus he'll be, you know, crossing into other people's movies. Plus, plus, plus. So I think this right. is
2: great. Yep. Yep. No, it's good to have consistency. I mean, like, you know, if all of a sudden they decided to have somebody other than Helmsworth play Thor, it would seem weird, you know, at this point. Cause you know, or, or like, you know, with, um, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, even though I know they can't do that anymore, but, I mean, to have somebody else play that, you know, after establishing him for 10 years, you know, it would it would seem odd. And, and I mean, I, I still look at the new Flash guy and kind of go, that's not the Flash, you know, <laughs> in the DC movies, you know what I mean? Right? So Yeah.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, how, how they continue this stuff forward. Obviously, they've written out some characters, but one truth that all comic fans know is that no death is forever. Yeah. There right. is there are so few characters that have been killed in perpetuity. They've killed characters for decades, but everybody's on the table to come back. So they could do all kinds of ways to bring anybody back. But the difference between a comic book and a live action film is that it's awfully hard, <laughs> awfully hard to keep people young forever. Now, we've obviously, we've seen them. They they de-aged people for a bunch of these movies. So, you know, that's always on the table. But they've also introduced the concept of the multiverse, too. So, is it just a matter of time before we see, you know, other iterations of other, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm the Tony Stark from Universe 26 and right. I've come to save the day. You know, there is an old uh, Iron Man arc from way back when, when I was a boy, where, you know, they actually killed off Tony Stark and he was replaced with his younger self. So for a while there, Tony Stark was actually a teenager.
2: Hmm. Okay.
3: Yeah. Again, it can be pretty well done and pretty convoluted, but nobody's irreplaceable.
2: Well, I mean, like in comic books, do they they actually have milestones like... You know, nine eleven and and World War Two. I mean, like, do yes. they have like major milestones, mm-hmm. or do they just sort of leave the time loose?
3: Some things they do incorporate. Marvel made the call to incorporate nine eleven when it happened with an incredibly powerful issue, uh, Amazing Spider Man thirty six, uh, volume two, number thirty six, uh, which features a pitch black cover um, and you know Spider-Man swings down to the site of the the twin towers and you know uh sort of deals with you know how did he not know this was going to happen how could he not <laughs> have done something it, it, you know it sounds a little hokey but it's it's actually quite quite poignant it's a, it's actually a really really lovely story about how how something like that could still happen in a universe where there are superheroes, right? Right. And it's, yeah. you know, the truth is this, the same reason that could happen in the United States in the first place, that, you know, you, you cannot predict the actions of mad people.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, it's interesting, interesting too, that, you know, 2 ties there is there is One is that the you remember the original trailer for Spider-Man before Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man came out was the, the Spider-Man catching the helicopter in... Between the two towers. Between the two towers, yep. Yep, and they had to to
3: remove that because obviously people found it... uh,
2: Yeah, too soon or whatever, yeah. Too soon, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. or I mean, it was just done shortly before that. Um, Yeah. Speaking of Spider-Man, as we are, our next headline uh, dropped
3: this evening. We got the first trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. This is a sequel to Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse, which was the incredibly beautiful and, I mean, exquisite movie that came out uh, a few years back by um, Lord and Miller that is centered around Miles Morales being Spider-Man and encountering all these other incarnations of spider people from across the multiverse – uh, so this is our first first taste of where that universe is going in that one obviously Miles becomes uh, the Spider-Man of his universe after the death of Peter Parker he meets Spider-Gwen he meets uh, Spider-Ham he meets uh, Petey Parker the, uh, the the mechanical Spider-Man he meets mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man Noir and he meets the you know Peter Parker the, the schlubby Peter Parker with the big gut Uh and it looks like we're going on more adventures in this one. Another, uh, another glimpse at this really beautiful. I just, I can't, I, I said it at the time, this was one of my favorite animated movies of all time. And beyond that, it is the closest I've ever seen to a comic book brought to life. Just the, the onomatopoeia, the way the panels move, the slight pixelization. So it looks like it's on a three color press. And, um, it, it's just it's so so beautiful to me the way that they brought that feel to the to the film and on top of that it was just a beautifully told story about this this young man and his life and the challenges and and you know it, it was it was just really 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 well done so i was excited to see them drop this trailer tonight what uh, what did you guys you guys had a chance to look at this earlier as well
2: I mean, it does have the look and feel of the other, the other um, film, like when, when he switches out of the scene that they show with him and Spider-Gwen, but, um, you know, when he when he dives out the window and you get the sort of full psychedelic effects. And, yeah, I, mean, I know a lot of people who are, are really obsessed with that uh, that actual movie um, because it had amazing sound and amazing visuals. Unfortunately, I saw it on an airplane, so I saw it like, you know, on a little, little back of a matchbox, right? matchbook. Mm. So I should, probably should watch it again on a big screen, but... Yeah, it does look pretty cool. I mean, and it is an interesting story. It, it plays with the idea of a multiverse better than most multiverse thingies do, because, I mean, here they have, mo- like, a cartoon multiverse and a... Well, they could do anything, know. right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about it, right? And you're right, it does have the sort of... It plays with the sort of ink mislined on paper kind of effects, as well as all the sort of, you know, video... Uh, you know, because they don't, they don't limit themselves to sort of, like, you know realistic um color color palettes and that kind of stuff and they get really artistic with it and and it really moves
0: well that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does look really cool. I'm intrigued by the fact that it's a part one. I hope they are gonna already be well into you know, getting the second part up and going so that it's not like a two year, three year, four year kind of uh gap. because uh, this one comes out in October of two thousand twenty two, so hopefully as they're wrapping up the, the post-production on this, they can do the same for that as well.
3: Yeah. And it's been a moment since the last one too. I think, you know, it would be good to see them. You're right. I do, you know, a one year later or a six months later, as opposed to three years later.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, Lord of the ring style where it's like one every year sort of thing.
3: Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think they really stumbled onto something incredible here. I, I, I was lucky enough that, um, when the film came out in the theaters, it was a night where I, I believe it was, it was pre-pandemic, and I believe our sons were spending the weekend maybe with you, Tim. And my wife said, you know, hey, is there anything you want to do? And I said, I really want to see this movie in the theater. And she said, great, let's go see it. And, you know, she's not very much into this world that, that the three of us are. She's not a huge sci-fi, um, fantasy, comic booky kind of person, but she loved it. She thought it was fantastic because it's just a really a lovely story filled with good characters and and it's a really unique vision. Again, I've never seen an animated movie like this that uses this style that really mixes the media the way they do. Like it really is a very unique vision, and combining that with a True. a really heartfelt story, really, it, I mean, it was a home run. It was an absolute home run. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see art, where they yeah. go.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a work of art that that movie. Like from the point of view, like like you said, like even even animations that were done back in the day, like Nashville or Heart Heavy Metal or or uh, Felix the Cat, things like that. They're all sort of a single vision of you know art kind of thing. So even though they're animated, they they're, they stay within their lane, you know. But mm-hmm. this one kind of played with all the rules, you know. Yeah, Or Broke yeah. all the rules. I mean,
0: yeah. Wait, so. I might have misheard here when you were talking about Heavy Metal did you mean Fritz the Cat because I thought I heard Felix the Cat Oh, yeah No, Fritz, Fritz the Cat yeah, yeah. okay that
2: yeah, would was I was thinking of Wizards and stuff like that Wizards was another movie that was very similar in 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 that he mixed things and in fact I think he he was involved in the Lord of the original Lord of the Rings cartoon where the Oh, the one where they did the draw
3: over and stuff, yeah.
2: Yeah, so they had the human human horses and stuff. But whenever they showed the neck, the what was the the ring race, they yep. they were all sort of really cool and sinister looking. But but animated, you know, it was clear that they were doing, you know, it had it looked a little bit like a like a those Saturday like you know Frosty the Snowman kind of Rankin Bass kind of illustrations with you know other medias in there. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and still it was that was unique at its time. But yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, but this is exciting. Again, it, it's a long, a long wait. We have to wait until all the way till next October to get this this sequel finally. But mm-hmm. uh, exciting that they're going back to this, and exciting even more that that this is listed. as Wait, October's part one. when
2: the part one's coming out, or October's yeah. when part two's coming out? No, it's when part one's coming out.
3: So uh-huh. we've got uh, ten months to. Mm to kill before we get that next one, but, uh, I'm sure we'll find ways to keep ourselves amused.
2: Yeah. Actually, you know what I was going to go back to was, was the, the other point I wanted to make about, um, you know, the, the portrayal of, of you sort of said the timeline and how, um, you know, Marvel brings in real life events. I'm having a really tough time watching movies where they don't talk about COVID at all. You know what I mean? like, we're still. I mean, we. I know that they're they're filming like the like Red Red Note. I just watched an interview with Ryan Reynolds talking about how they were all you know cloistered in hotel rooms oh, yeah. and they all had to you know do, do safe things. And yet in the movie, they're depicting life as normal pre pandemic. You know,
3: it, it's true. But then you know, I think right now TV and film is a is is escapism, right? They really want. People want to not be in their reality right now because their reality is is quite frustrating and quite grim. I think in this circumstance, I, I'd be I wouldn't want to see any of my shows with people wearing masks and having to deal with that because that's our reality. I want that escapism.
2: Right. Yeah. No. I was gonna say because you know Carol and I both sort of started noticing when you know the masks started showing up in, in commercials, right? Because for even for for like first eight months of the pandemic, there was like no no depiction of life changing you know yeah um and yet now wearing a mask is like like i was just watching a bunch of american protest protesters in front of the lincoln memorial wearing masks yeah like when did masks become okay right but um you know it 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 just like and i just i just finished watching i probably should talk about in in the in either the watch list or whatever but the eight bit eight bit christmas i did watch it
3: i watched it too yeah
2: yeah, and that was an it was an interesting movie and I get I get in that case I could see okay well if you want to make a timeless classic and that's kind of where that sort of movie's going to land you know you're always going to watch the Christmas it's going to be on the, the rotation of Christmas movies which seem to never end in Canada I don't know if you noticed that but you can always <laughs> find a Christmas movie right Yeah. You know it, it's like in in that movie I kept looking at it going these people are too close together. But <laughs> you know. Yeah. Anyway, it just it's just you know it it's odd that you know, like you know we can we can be upset about 9 but not something that killed even more people than 9-11. We just kind of brush it under the carpet.
3: Yeah. But again, it's, it's, there's certainly been no shortage of films made about the events of 9-11 after the fact. I'm sure there will be COVID films after the fact. I think the, the challenge is, one, it's not over. We're still, who knows if we're even in the middle of it. We might still be in the beginning of it. We don't know. And you know, again, I think I think right now what most people are looking for, since they're spending so much more time at home, and their you know their reality is so frustrating with the masks, vaccinations, uh, anti vaxxers the dialogue online, restrictions. Who wants to live like Who wants to live that in their films? I, I did notice Eight uh, Bit Christmas. My wife and I watched it the other night, and uh, we watched the credits uh, after the, after the film was over. And there was a whole section there about you know COVID, uh, you know, the people who were responsible for maintaining COVID protocols. And she said, oh, that's the first time I think I've ever seen that on a production list. And I said, you know, yeah, they're actually, they're starting to become more common that that's there. I don't know that they've obviously listed all those people, but I mean, frankly, they deserve as much or more credit than a lot of other departments working on a movie because that's got to be incredibly complicated. I was watching 8-Bit Christmas and there's certainly no shortage of scenes where there's a lot of people in one screen and stuff like that. Like the logistics of that must be incredibly complicated. So, again, I I just I think you're right, though. I think you nailed it with the line that is they were going for timeless Christmas classic and you don't want to root it in 2021 by saying, oh, and there's Neil Patrick Harris sitting with his uh, the actress playing his daughter. And they're both wearing masks when they go out, you know, when they're out shopping like that
2: just seems like but but it's also like the line that he says of course we wore helmets in the in the 80s when we were riding our bikes you know and of course he's got the gretzky Jofa helmet on right
0: Did you, you watch know. it too Jaime? I did. I uh, I did happen to watch it. The mm-hmm.
2: the one
3: line that really stuck out to us is uh he, both my wife and I were just like come on. Is at one point the the young boy who's playing young Neil Patrick Harris is trying to sell wreaths door to door to try and win this Nintendo and he goes to the one place and the guy has, was pointing at a sign saying, you better not be trying to sell me anything. And he points at the no solicitation sign. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I, I wanted to see if you wanted to buy some wreaths. And he goes, do you have some kind of learning disability? I said, this is supposed to be 1989. <laughs> That's not the word that comes out That's of his mouth. That's not what they would have said, yeah. The yeah. word that comes out of his mouth starts with an R and is really blacklisted now. But, you know, good try, though.
0: Right, well, I, but, you know, yeah, yeah. I thought you guys were going to talk about the uh, Canadian accent that they used briefly. Oh my, yeah. Well, oh. <laughs>
2: yeah, That was a little dark also. That was okay. That was not as bad as Yoga Hosers, you know?
3: Oh, I mean, but Yoga Hosers was deliberate too, right? Like they were doing that on purpose, making fun mm. of it.
2: True. But. Still bothers me every time I watch that movie. Yeah. But he did address it, Kevin Smith did talk about the Yoga Hosers accent because of course he was in front of a Canadian audience, right? So he had to address it.
3: Yeah, I believe was yeah. his exact line was sorry <laughs> yeah.
0: mm. all
2: right
3: all right next up so there was a big dump of information around all these Star Wars and Marvel programs that were coming to Disney Plus one of which was uh, announced months and months and months ago was going to be the uh, spinoff for from The Mandalorian called Star Wars Rangers of the New Republic. And at the time, the idea was was put out there that uh, Rangers of the New Republic was going to be centered around Mandalorian character Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano. She was going to sort of be the lead of this thing, and it was going to talk about her sort of life post-rebellion in the New Republic, trying to sort of, you know, now we've seen her as the Marshal and sort of getting back into that universe. Interesting idea. Well, in the time since they announced that obviously Gina Carano has been cancelled because she uh, made some um, unfortunate comments on her social media and she was uh, basically unceremoniously dropped from future plans by Disney slash uh, Star Wars. So that left a lot of people saying, well, are they going to still do Ranger of the New Republic? Are they going to rewrite it? Are they going to do something else? This week, we got a story coming out of um, Empire Magazine where Kathleen Kennedy was uh, interviewed and she said that the show is no longer moving forward on its production schedule. Uh, She said that they hadn't written any scripts, that they were, you know, just sort of had Enough, that, enough of a good idea that they were going to pursue it, but given that what's happened, that they're going to be um, talking about integrating some of the plot lines that they had in mind for it into The Mandalorian and then just scrapping it. Although she did say it has not been officially uh, cancelled. So it could still exist, but I think it's pretty fair to say that the Rangers, Rangers of the New Republic is toast any thoughts on willie are you sad are you happy do you care did you have high hopes for this one
0: yeah i think uh it's a bummer to lose the content but uh, at the same time there's just so much other good content that they have that i don't know that i'm uh struck by this but like you know if they end up canceling you and mcgregor or something they'll probably feel that a little lot more than uh gina carano's character
2: yeah tim are you moved are you sad do you miss gina carano already? Um, no, I, I I'm not really crushed at all. I mean, like I don't really know the story of the Rangers of the New Republic. I haven't really probably caught up enough on, um, you know, Rebels or or um, finished the um, other one, uh, Clone Wars. Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So and and you know, of course, I know about her being canceled. So I, I you know, I'm not surprised. I thought Ahsoka was what's her name? Um, what's um the young lady's young lady Rosario Jane, Dawson? Yeah. No. What's the character? For Ahsoka Tano? Yeah, Ahsoka Tano. I thought I thought that was I thought Ahsoka was part of that show, or, or is she going to still have her own show?
3: Ahsoka's got her own show. They already announced that that that's going to be a separate. Thing. The reason I
2: ask is because in the in the image they have here on the on the, the page, it's got you know it shows Ahsoka Tano, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to confuse everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Not crushed. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of lots of lots of Jedi. Well, are there lots of Jedi left? We're not really sure. Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's a, that's a different issue. Yeah. All right. Well, our last headline this week we've got uh, we've got the return of the Matrix. So we knew Matrix Resurrections is coming in a, in a few short weeks. Uh, looks pretty good. Trailers are are out there. Commercials are popping up. And in order to get people ready for the first time, you can watch the Matrix, the original 1999 film. The Matrix in IMAX. So for two days only on December, December seventh and eighth, you can go and watch. Wait, that's this week. That's this is next week. Yes, it is. Or uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it might be today. Go, go mm. now. Uh, it's <laughs> apparently only only in theaters for the seventh and eighth. You can go and you can watch the original film, The Matrix, in uh, in IMAX, which. I gotta admit, it's kind of an intriguing proposition. Yeah,
2: definitely, definitely, a good movie.
3: I mean, if there was a movie that was made to be seen on that kind of scope,
2: that's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Why is it showing it to me at the twenty-four in Whitby? I don't what? know. Probably because that's where my internet's coming out.
0: <laughs> Your
2: VPN is set to Whitby. Well, yeah, no, it just depends depends on where you're. Um... Yeah, it's where you're picking up paying, right? Yeah. Why is it not coming? Why is Oakville not showing up as a choice? Is it only playing at Whitby? What's going on?
3: That's it. May not be playing at every single theater either, right? It depends on if they have the um, the capacity or if they're opting into this or whatever, right?
2: Participating participating locations only. Oh, here, wait. There's uh, Perth. A few more theaters. Hang on a sec, folks. While we scroll through the list of theaters <laughs> that's playing out. what the hell? These are all like middle of nowhere—Calgary, Cardiff, UK, Kingdom. What is up with this? I guess I just have to click on the locate, find a theater. <laughs> okay. oh, we we'll have, we'll have to look into this a bit deeper. Oh, Dune is playing over there. That's why. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never, I never knew that IMAX had their own, their own. Um, yeah,
3: they have their own site where you can book stuff. Yeah.
2: Cool. Yeah, I wouldn't go see it at Cinetic because the sound wouldn't be that great. No. No Siri Bob. There's 7th and 8th, you said it. Let's click on the 8th, see what happens. Or 7th. 7th is Tuesday. Yep. It's Dune, 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 Ghostbusters. Oh, here we go. Kitchener, we can go watch it in Kitchener. Woo! That's even further. You, <laughs> it's further than we we'll, we'll let Jaime look that one up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. That's <laughs> too far away. Oh, my God. That's it's like, like driving to I
2: Vancouver, up. you know. Yeah, probably, we might as well, yeah turn left at Albuquerque. All righty. Well, this is the part of the show, folks, where we have arrived, where we start talking about the latest Star Trek thingy, and this week, the thingy is Discovery, Season 4, Episode 3, Choose to Live, and I have volunteered, I have offered myself as tribute to to the recap. You've been chosen. Hmm? You've been chosen. I've been chosen. So we start off with the um, USS Credence, commanded by Commander Fickett. Uh, who's delivering dilith- dilithium to a planet, as per you know the agreement that they would deliver dilithium to all the various planets after the burn, and they're immediately attacked. I, they, like I love the the um, auto here. Stacked and killed. No, they are attacked and killed,
3: <laughs> or stabbed and killed. By,
2: uh, stacked dead actors, right? Um, by the uh, by some mercenaries led by a Quat Malat uh, nun named Javini. Um, and at one point she's fighting with them and, and she says to the com- to the commander, you know, please my friend, choose to live, she says. And ironically, that's the name of the show, Choose to Live. And I thought, you know, as, as I was taking notes, I'm thinking that would be a really cool name for the show. And then it turned out to be that is actually the name of the episode. Uh, Unfortunately, he meets the end of her sword, which we'll talk about, you know, the path you're on and when this path comes to an end at some point, and you might find yourself at the end of the point of a Quatmalat sword, which is where they choose to live, um, asking you to pick another path. But um, so we then we switch over to Vance President Tirina. Is that right? I don't know if it's autocorrected or not burnham and uh, the new commander admiral i'm not sure president relic what's relic's title she's the president yeah president. She's the
3: president of the federation
2: so they're talking about you know about this issue and about how they have to they named they named jovini as the as the uh, uh co-op not nun that was basically you know, led the led the thing and killed the uh, officer and of course you know it's kind of funny that the Federation, which was like disappeared for 600 years and now it's come back. Now all of a sudden it's really a bad thing to kill a Federation um, officer, but eh, we'll, we'll let that one go. Um, fortunately, they had put a tracker in the dilithium just in case, so they know exactly where these people are. Um, they don't know what her motive is, and so they need to... They, there's, um, And they said they need the, uh, Navarre to sort of give guidance on this thing. Um, or were they talking about something else. Anyway, um, Burnham's mom shows up because of course she's at Coat Malat, uh, and, um, she, uh, believes that uh, she explains that, you know, she must be, she must be, there must be a reason why she did this, like, cause they just don't do this for no reason. There has to be some sort of lost cause that she's on. And she suge- suggests that uh, she accompanies whoever goes to get her because only her sisters can bring her in safely without, you know, other people meeting the end of her sword. Um so they decide to send Burnham and uh the Kwatmalot to go and retrieve this, this uh person. So it'll be a joint mission with the two Burnhams. Um meanwhile, Tilly uh runs into the cafeteria looking for Seward to ask for advice and uh she's been dealing with her comfort zone and how she's not comfortable. She's not sure if she's comfortable in it or not comfortable in her comfort zone. So she's been uh it's been suggested to her that she try new things outside of that. So she's asking uh, Saru for some advice on that. And also, you know, she'd like to water his plants. And of course, there's one particular plant she should keep away from. Because apparently, I think, uh, he was supposed to be going away, but he didn't really go away. He was, he mentioned something about going and helping uh, with the Kavanaugh spaceport. Or at least he, maybe he was making a like a Zoom call or something with the WebEx or whatever with them about it.
3: Yeah, I think that's what he implied, yeah.
2: Right. So, um, and he says, I'll think about something for you. I'll, I'll come up with something for you, uh, Tilly, to help you with your... your current Burden. Um, I meanwhile, um, Burham goes into the engineering section and she finds Booker there and she uh, asks to bore his ship and, uh, you know, she'll promise to bring it back all waxed and washed and uh, meanwhile Stamus is there with his three, you know, virtual hollow screens um and, you know, trying to figure out a third. He comes up with this theory for what this anomaly is, which he's calling the DMA, because it's easier to say than dark matter anomaly. So the DMA, what it is, he thinks it's a primordial wormhole, and uh, so four out of five reasons why it would be one particular one, um, no signs of tachyons, which apparently are always there when there's a wormhole. Um, that's the one sort of piece that's not... Uh, not coming through for him, and so they decide that uh, he will go to the Science Institute on um, Navarre. To, I guess that's that. that with the Vulcans have settled on Navarre, is that the idea? Well, the Vul- Navarre
3: is uh,
2: is Vulcan, right? Okay, oh, it is the name of Vulcan, yes. So it Vulcan is Vulcan's with the Romulans, Vulcan. too. Wait, right? I'm, I'm, which timeline are we in? Because I thought Vulcan got blown up with the two spots only in the Kelvin timeline. Oh. Okay, in the in the JJ... Um, yes, in the JJ-verse. In the Jar Jar Abrams-verse, right? That's right, the Jar Jar-verse. Yeah, the Jar Jar-verse. Um, yeah, so, okay, forget what I said, it's still Vulcan, okay? So, uh, otherwise, because I was going to call them Vulcans, but I guess they're Navar is Vulcan. Okay, clear as mud. Yeah, they are the
3: Navarre. they are on Navar, because that's not confusing enough, as opposed to the Vulcans on Vulcan.
2: Wait, so is Navarre Vulcan?
3: Navarre is the planet formerly known as Vulcan, but it is inhabited by the reunified Romulans. And is it represented
2: by a symbol? (laughs) Uh, Never mind. All right, a purple symbol, right? Um, Yes, so. it's decided that book will accompany uh, Stamets. You know, he just promises to not get in the way, and he just would like to go and help, and blah 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 blah. He needs to be doing something. Uh, meanwhile, we uh, then we see that uh, Gray's body is being 3D printed on this really cool 3D printer, and um, which is weird because didn't we see it standing there the other day? That was a that was a hologram. Oh, well, that was it. a
3: hologram. Okay. That was the 3D. That
2: was the 3D
1: That's model. That's what it was going to look actually, like.
2: Yeah, that's kind of what it's going to look like. And, and of course, why wouldn't you... Well, I was just going to say, why wouldn't you get yourself perfected? But, again, he did have one of the moles removed off his hand kind of thing. Um, anyway, um, this this week they're actually making it a corporeal body, and uh, Holographic Guardian Z uh, comes... Uh, I guess he's a Trill... Tr- I almost getting mixed up. Is it Trill the Symbiont or the Trill the Host?
3: Uh, again, this is where another weird one. Trill is the planet, Trill is the people, and... Uh, the symbionts are called
2: symbionts. Okay, right. So the, these aren't—we're not—they're not really hosting people anymore. But anyway, so yeah. So, um, which is why I guess Gray's kind of comfortable with having existences and different kind of like corporealnesses as, in as part of his, his or, or his race, I guess. Or yeah, race. Let's see what there. Um, yeah. So he's going to get incorporated into this thing, and there's no guarantee the procedure is going to work. And so, of course. Um, You know, um, Adira, who's translating for him, because she's the only one that can currently see him and hear him. um, Not she, they. They, sorry. uh, They are um, translating for for Grey. Is Grey a they?
3: No, I believe Grey does uh, go by he.
2: Okay, all right. So... um, yeah, and of course, you know, it, it's, it's, I find it odd that, I, and I guess, you know, we can we can also hear Gray. So he's saying, tell him this and tell him that, and of course, Adira says nothing like what he says. <laughs> loose loose interpretation. Is, yeah, well, No, paraphrasing is the word, right? Yeah, like no, just completely true. changing the, the the tone and yeah, he gets it, you know, is what she sort of says, right, rather than what he actually said, which is like a couple of sentences worth of you know valuable stuff. Uh, and and I find that when when people are doing playing translators in movies and stuff like that, like you know, like oh my God, this is you know, if you do that, if you if you use the red screwdriver and you turn it left four degrees, it'll it'll blow up, and and then the translator says it would be a bad thing. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> what, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, so yeah, just to minor complaint about that so Saru uh recommends to Tilly that uh that she accompany or it recommends to Burnham that that Tilly accompany them to this to retrieve this nun back to the main story of the of the show um and uh you know Burnham's like wait she's like her combat skills are like the worst and goes, yeah that's okay but she's going to be with you and she's going to be with the 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 nuns so she'll she'll you know she won't be a problem right um and then uh Dr. Gabriel, Gabrielle Burnham explains to I don't know what her Kuat name is but she explains that to to Burnham that uh, Javini was that she was Javini's lost cause when she first came to the future and uh she took her under her wings and 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 made her into one of these he's uh nuns so she's obviously you know invested in um you know she she can't believe that uh, Javini is doing this kind of thing and they, uh, suggest that they, sorry, they require that no phasers go, uh, to the planet, which, you know, Burnham's like, what? So they bring them over and they hand them a sword each. And of course, Tilly promptly, clumsily drops the sword on the ground and, <laughs> you know, yeah, they're like, okay, let's bring her to a battle. Um, you know, as they arrive, not drive as it says here in the notes, but as they arrive, uh, they're immediately attacked by mercenaries and, uh, the nun who, uh, has has one or two lines in the movie in the show at that point is killed um by one of the mercenaries and then of course giovanni shows up and um she's a little upset that the nun got killed um not what she wanted kind of thing and uh she says to them choose to live by leaving the planet immediately Uh, which of course you know they decide they're not going to do they're going to ignore her um Meanwhile, you know the process has taken place with Gray. It's already started. They've taken, you know, they've they've his body's gone or his sort of his incorporeal body is gone, and Adira can no longer feel him. So she's a little freaked out about that. And of Thanks. course, you know, they're all saying that you know, Guardian Z says this could take time, and uh, this will take time, and and um, Doctor says this will take time. But again, no, nobody's ever done this before. So how do they know how long it's going to take or work or whatever, right? You know. Anyway, suspending disbelief, we'll carry on with the story. <laughs> um, yeah, so they uh, when they land on a the planet, they, they they just zap into the planet because they don't beam down anymore. They just pop in. Um and uh, which probably doesn't freak out people on first contact at all. But um they find cocoons with uh, semi-dead aliens uh, in them. And one of them has they find is covered with uh, it turns out to be Javini's, uh cloak. Again, the autocorrect is having fun with my spelling. Um and uh yeah, and so that's when um uh Dr. Burnham says, you know, I think that this must be her her lost cause Cause obviously she's she's adopted these people at one point you know- we get the famous line from Star Wars, that's no moon yeah um when they determine or dr Burnham just determines that uh they uh that th- this isn't a moon, it's actually a ship right that looks like a moon um and sort of, you know, uh, Tilly starts looking for the tracker with her tricorder, whatever they call the new thing. I don't know if it's a tricorder anymore. They wear them on their wrists now. Um, and uh, it turns out it's way above them, like 100 feet or 200 feet above them. And so they they find a turbo lift, as they call it, to take them up to that level and the way they can do it. So now we go over to Samets. And this is, again, I don't get this Samets guy, but. Um, He's at the Institute, he's talking to the Vulcans about, you know, his theories and stuff like that. And all of a sudden the Vulcans, like, all tune out and, and go into a meditative state. And he's, and he's like, you know, totally, like, get this guy off the planet. You know, it's like, can we have a nap later? Like, let's do the science now kind of thing. Like, very insensitive of all characters on the show to say that, I thought. Uh, looking at you writers of the show. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, and... Uh, yeah so meanwhile so, so explain to him that that they need to do this to go off and sort of process all the all the stuff and they'll be back shortly um and meanwhile um scrolling back to the top of the notes to get her name um uh, i'm gonna go you mean with the president president, president what's Trina? Her name? president President Trina says to Booker, um, "Yeah, you, you're obviously in a lot of pain, and and you're wearing you're your grief on your shoulder. Now I've lost where I am. Yes, yeah. So you know, you 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 know, you require freedom from guilt is what you need. And and uh, he, he's a little upset because he's he's running the the idea over in his head about what happened. And he's I must have missed something. He keeps saying, I, I, got, I wish I could figure out what it was that that I missed, and maybe I could have saved my family.' Blah blah blah." typical stuff um back over on the on the moon planet uh or the death star i guess it is um tilly finds a tracker and uh in the in the dilithium takes it out which i don't understand and then uh, she disables the them drive the uh the, the engine on the ship which of course is going to draw uh Giovini in. and um and then looking on the walls and the hieroglyphics there um burnham notices that uh there's a depiction of a moon leaving a system like a supernova or something happened. And, and, uh, she determines that all these people, these, these, um, cocoons down there that they passed are actually cry. They're all in cryo sleep from, from this, this journey. Um, and then they determine that, or they, they sort out that Juvene's lost cause is helping these migrants, um, you know, sur- survive and, and get finished their mission, that kind of stuff. So that's where, uh, they show up and then of course Jiminy shows up and overpowers dr gabriel and holds you know her sword to her throat and says you know you better fix this up oh, why well, the, the the people are called aborians who she's trying to help and uh you know they, they why didn't you just ask for dilithium they you know blindly say and uh, tilly points out that they wouldn't have sent the dilithium to an individual it would be like they would want to know the species and the planet and who it's going to go to and of course you know Again, I don't know why anyone want to keep that a secret, but apparently she was she was told she couldn't have dilithium, so she decided to go take matters in her own hand and, and go and steal some
0: <laughs> they, they, they very briefly like very briefly said why she was worried about them so the whole reason people were robbing their their grave so to speak uh, even though it's their their stasis chamber is that their uh, physiology has latinum in it oh, it would be like right. finding a whole yes. tomb of people who who have you know gold sewn into their veins you'd absolutely see people robbing them yeah gotcha gotcha yeah have we established that latinum latinum is a currency in this uh, it's, generation of star Trek? roughly chosen to be as a currency even though it sort of acts like a semi-bartering system um, mm. but it, it it effectively is in a world where you can replicate whatever you want what is right. something that you can use that's a a, a scarce Maybe it's resource juice that
2: makes a, the replicator work or something
0: yeah the the platinum is claimed somewhere in deep space nine i think is where it might have yep. started um, yep. as being mm-hmm. non replicatable so therefore it has oh. you know scarcity which means you can therefore use it as something like a currency, currency. Yep. right because they talk yeah. about slips strips and bars and probably more of that yeah
3: and they press it in gold because gold can can help it hold its form or something that's why they call it gold pressed latinum
2: okay gotcha so back in the back in the uh, the story here on the on the ship the sword to the throat um burnham offers to fix the ship let's fix the ship and fix the cryotubes tubes or cryo chambers and 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 uh jiminy says sure wild hillies as you have until she fixes the engines um so kind of weird that you know like that's like how long is a piece of string you know but um because Tilly could take as long as she needed to fix the engines in that case, right? Yeah. Um, back on... I'm going to call it Vulcan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> back on not they, Vulcan. On not Vulcan, they, on the symbol planet, they they disprove the hypothesis that uh, Stamus is trying to postulate because they can find no evidence of um, those things. Tachyons. tachyons, yeah. Yes. And uh, since they couldn't find any of them, they decide that... Are tachyons a real thing? Because the spell check didn't yell at me when i typed up tachyon or is it just star trek has become so ubiquitous that it's become part of the the language i wonder yeah
3: tachyons i think they're they're a hypothetical uh so there's something that theoretical physicists use as a postulated um presupposition of something that exists okay there's no proof that they exist but they use them as if they do
2: well, maybe it's like N and math, or, or um, it's like a placeholder. Oh, value. here we
3: go. I just like, looked it up. So it was, yeah, first theorized in 1967, a tachyon particle is a hypothetical particle that always travels faster than light. Most physicists believe that faster-than-light particles cannot exist because they are not consistent with the known laws of physics, but no experimental evidence for the existence of particles has ever been found.
2: So there you go. Well, if they had a Heisenberg compensator, they could measure the position, right? They
3: are, in fact, a theoretical... Uh, f- It's a
2: placeholder, in other words, a placeholder value for something they can't find yet. Okay, cool. So um, they decide to do uh, well. They they, they, well, we do have a witness to to the 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 planet destruction. So perhaps we can do a mind mailed with Booker to see if uh, what he saw, what he remembered, what he like, he may not remember what he saw, kind of thing. So um, insert president's name here. Will Tarina. (laughs) Tarina? Sorry, Tarina. Tarina. Terina does a mind well with, with Booker. Uh, your mind to my mind. My mind to your mind. Anyway, um, Wilma wants a fur coat.
0: <laughs> no, um, no, Wilma doesn't want a fur coat.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, so they make uh, make him revisit the events and uh, to see if there was a blue cast in the sky, which would be evidence of Tachyon's apparently, which apparently just, just disgust you can't see. Um, anyway... Uh, while there, Booker sees the the love in the gaze of his nephew, uh, and realizes that, in fact, you know that 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 makes him feel better about losing him in death and planet destruction and whatever. But, yeah, you
3: know, he has that sort of epiphany of his his nephew real, like his nephew knew how much he loved him before he died, and that's cathartic for him. Uh,
2: but unfortunately, when he comes back out of it, uh, she says that there's no evidence of Tachyon. You know, so I said she instead of her name. Um, Anyway, yeah. Uh, so that disproves again uh, Stamat's uh theory. So yeah, I don't I don't remember if he goes stomping off, but I imagine he did. No,
3: he just looks exasperated.
2: I know, cuz yeah. he still doesn't have the answer. Shoot. Um Burnham is successful and we see the uh the ring of uh of pods uh, blink to life as they come back to life and then of course um you know, Dr. Gabriel says to uh Javini your um, your path, your next path awaits. And uh, so Jivini surrenders and they put her in handcuffs and take her away. And then, of course, they have a ceremony for the dead nun and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then when explaining the whole Coat Malat path uh, theory to Tilly, um, Dr. Brigh- Dr. Burnham explains that paths end and change and that the path you're on, when when you find yourself at the end of the sword uh, hilt uh, or sword about to kill you, the path you're on has come to an end. So now you need to decide, you know, to, to move to a new path uh, and choose to live or, you, or otherwise you stay and you die. Um, and then of course she says the whole line about living with absolute candor is the sort of, which is, you know, the episode, one of the episodes we recorded a few years ago, absolute candor. Um, yeah. And so, uh, they're going to send, uh, they decide in the, in the sort of like, uh, um, uh, end scene there with, uh, with the two presidents and, and Vance and Burnham that they're going to send, uh, Giovanni back to Navarre for, cause I guess she is a, I'm going to say it again, Vulcan. um, and, that uh, they decide to let, let them handle her, her case, um, rather than letting them h- making her extra because they're trying to keep peace with Navarre, they want them to rejoin the Federation, um, and, uh, so they're trying to keep things happy, and, you know, Burnham's a little, you know, black and white upset about this, because she thinks that, you know, the, the person should stand trial, even though she had really good reason for doing what she did, she still did kill a uh, Starfleet officer, notwithstanding the other people that died on that ship, but, um... Yeah, and then he explains to her that, you know, like, we're just, like, instruments here. We're, like, you know, the tuba player or whatever. And uh, the president is, like, the conductor, and she understands the symphony. She gets the big picture. So she gets to make the big decisions. And at the very end scene, um, you know, Adira has been uh, lying or fallen asleep holding on to Gray's hand, which I didn't discuss earlier. But, um, of course, you know, Grey wakes up, and, uh, you know... Eyes open, hands you know, flinch and and uh, immediately jumps out of the, the the chamber and can move around on this brand new body which he's never driven before. It's like you know, taking the 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 new car you just got your license five minutes ago and you jump on the <laughs> four hundred one and drive down the road, um, throwing hugs at everybody. So yes, you know, that's totally believable. But again, this is a science fiction story. Um, yeah, so so Gray Gray's Gray's happy. He's got his new body and. Uh, all all's well that ends well
0: i guess that's the moral yeah Yeah, it's a fairly standalone episode although it does help move the overall story arc along but only by
3: like a millimeter like all that did was basically they had a theory the theory was disproved and we're back to nowheresville right i guess the only thing that's that's Mm -hmm. sort of really accomplished here is that book finds some catharsis and hopefully won't be just like having emotional breakdowns for the rest of the season
2: yeah that, well, it it is a resolution story in in the, in that sense that Gray's um, uh, journey to becoming a corporeal being again mm-hmm. is resolved. You know, books books angst is resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the end scene, which I didn't talk about too, was when when he comes when the he come, or Burnham comes back to the to their shared space. Uh, he's you know lying underneath a canopy of his home planet, which he found a little angsty before, but now he's you know enjoying it so yeah
3: yeah Yeah, not a bad episode it felt almost like there was two like there's a plot a b plot a c plot yeah but you could kind of flip a coin as to which one is which like none of them really felt a strong a plot b plot c plot structure none of them were really like oh we i really want to get back to that a plot like it 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 was all just sort of it is what it is. It again, I, it's been a pretty good kickoff to the season. This was sort of a slow things down a little bit kind of thing. Not not exactly a banger of an episode, I think.
2: But I mean, I think I think uh, there may have been a few things. I mean, the political angle about like how are we dealing with um, how are we dealing with our planets and and what are the rules? I mean, it's a typical you know upper management has one perspective on things and middle managers, you know. Mm don't understand why upper management does what it does. And until it's explained to them that this is how things work. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, cause there is the political side of it. Cause, cause the president does take Burnham aside at the very beginning and says, you know, I know we're letting these people come along, but you're in charge, you know, so
1: mm-hmm.
2: you get to call the shots. And yet there was never any point where she put her foot down and said, I'm in charge. And this is what we're doing. She kind of just went along with whatever the current situation was. With Burnham. I mean, right.
3: Yeah. I did think the one thing that stood out to me in this episode was the the visual style that they used to do the mind meld between Tarina and Book, where you know, in in probably a better fashion than maybe we've ever seen it before. Just the you know the way that it sort of fades when it fades in with her and then fades out. Mm-hmm. And you see her fingertips are moving from his face. I thought that was really well done, like a very yeah. interesting way to visually show the joining of two minds. I, I really, I thought that was a, a really lovely bit of camera work and editing to, to bring that together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did seem like it, you you were aware during that whole sequence that this was really happening in his head, which is kind of cool the way he portrayed that.
3: Right? Yeah. Like it really, it was a very um, dreamlike and misty. Yeah. Unique. Yeah. But, but well done and, and, and more so than in a way where, you know, obviously limitations of technology limitations of, of visual effects and stuff like that but i thought this was one of the best representations of what that would be like it really felt very very uh, more real yeah organic maybe yeah
0: jaime highlights i've been quietly sitting here waiting for my opportunity to talk about <laughs> the, how the um the jabronis woke up because they could smell what the rock was cooking what oh, okay so, so they're called the abronies or abronians which i'm like yeah. the jabronians the jabronians oh my god that's were great sleep in their little nap and then they woke up because they could smell what the rock was cooking oh my the, god yeah uh, the moon that they were on right. oh my
3: god i love the way your brain works my friend Just sat there ready to ambush this podcast with them. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I don't think we could top that. Should we move on to Hawkeye? Yeah, definitely. Sure. Good episode this week. Uh, really, kind of action packed. It was uh, the bulk of the episode was, you know, the car chase. We we had uh, the the two Hawkeyes being caught by the the tracksuit mafia and being held prisoner. And we get our first real taste of of, uh, of Maya, the uh, the lieutenant of this gang. And, and that's uh, that's
2: Florence Pugh, right? What is that? That's Florence Pugh playing that character. No, 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 no,
3: no, that's, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, I'll look it up, but she is, um, she is an indigenous American.
2: Okay, yeah, because I was kind of, I, I saw her in the title and I'm like, what?
3: Yes, sorry, what's her name? Okay, I've got, Al- I've got it. Alaqua Cox is the is the young woman's name who is playing the character. Oh, yes,
2: right, Mary, Maya Lopez is the character. Right? Maya Lopez. This is the character. Alakwa Cox is the name of, of the uh, the
3: actress, and she is Menominee Indian uh,
2: from Wisconsin. Okay, I was going to say so, Yelena Belova, when, when does she come in?
3: Uh, she hasn't shown up yet, so
2: okay, she okay. will make an appearance eventually. Okay, so she's the lieutenant of. Yelena Belova per- presumably, right?
3: Well, yeah, we're not we're not sure who the boss of this mob is, but we do know that it is a Russian mob and we know that obviously Yelena is Russian. So there's there's probably some connections in there and but we haven't obviously seen it come together yet.
2: Right. Okay.
3: Um yeah, so we get our first sort of taste of her and particularly interesting because we've obviously with these first two episodes we got the the introduction that through all of the action that hawkeye has seen over the past few years hawkeye clint that is he has uh he has permanently damaged his hearing has now started wearing hearing aids to be able to hear properly and maya is uh is deaf and she cannot hear at all and We see some of her backstory, her origins, how she came into contact with Ronan, which of course was Clint, and then we... Uh then we see them interacting, of course, and she is sort of, you know, disgusted that he relies, doesn't know his ASL, uh, American Sign Language, and actually is just using his hearing aid to, to sort of get by. And then, of course, she stomps on his hearing aid, and uh, that sort of becomes a, a running story through the whole episode is, is you know, Hawkeye without his hearing aid and what, he, what his experience is. And I thought it was really interestingly told. Hawkeye in the comic books has been deaf since the mid 80s. Uh, he deafened mm. himself actually in his first ever limited series way back when, I think maybe
2: 86 85 86. Blowing up blowing up arrow or something or
3: No, he he was uh, he was fighting against this villain and the only way that he could think to stop the guy was to set off a sonic arrow, but he sets oh, okay. it off like with himself right there. He just triggers it and it deafens mm. them both, but permanently. So Hawkeye is is not completely deaf but very very damaged hearing and has to use uh, hearing aids through the through the rest of his um adventures. So I thought bringing that into the com- uh, into the MCU is actually really interesting because that is a big portion of who uh who the character is and and part of his his life circumstances in the books. But anyway, the point of this was they have this great uh interaction. He's trying to get the lay of the land of course. Um Kate crashed through the ceiling in the last episode she's held prisoner they managed to break free and they uh, steal the Cadillac and they go on this great car chase through New York City and it's a great car chase as <laughs> you know Hawkeye is driving she's firing off all the and trick arrows and yeah and of course he can't he can't really hear and they so they're yelling at each other but they're not really hearing each other and uh, you know it's it's really fun to see the sort of you know bag the quiver full of of trick arrows that you know don't use that one don't use that one and you know yeah. here use this one yeah, yeah and uh, you know make sure you use the putty one on the tires after she sprays it all over the windshield of one of the, of one of the cars and uh, oh, right. um, but yeah I are Again, a really fun creative car chase scene with you know all that stuff happening and then uh yeah they finally sort of make their way free and and uh we sort of go from there I, again a really fun uh, i like guess it's, it's a it's a good series it's very it's very enjoyable they're both very likable Ah, uh, Clint is definitely coming off as very, you know, very much the heavy in all this. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we sort of get a little sort of taste of this. and and, of course, it culminates with them going back to Kate's uh, mom's place to try and use the, her access to the security to try and figure out who's the head of the of this mob that's trying to get them and and where they can find them and what they can do. and uh, and it culminates with uh, Clint with a sword to his neck.
2: Yeah, the 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 way they end each episode with like a super cliffhanger click is really interesting. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, right, you don't know what um, what's going to happen. Like it, it really gets you to want to tune in next next episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, so, circling back to Aquela, uh, so Alequa Cox, um, this is the first thing she's been in since high school, mm. right? Well. She actually is deaf, and she does actually have a pr- uh, prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. So yeah, amazing. and she's amazing. yeah,
3: and she's uh, she's already slated. They've already announced that she's going to be starring in her own spinoff series. Um, nice. cool. The character she plays in the comics is called Echo. Um, mm. Originally debuted in Daredevil, but has gone on to uh, bigger and better things inside the comic books, including. Uh, the avengers so she is uh, a very rich character and obviously you know it's it's wonderful to see obviously a, a, an indigenous american um, have some representation in there as well as somebody who who is
2: as well yeah, as well. Uh,
3: yeah as, as well obviously she has you know her hearing impairment she obviously she has a, a prosthetic limb it's great to see more representation in there so uh, again and again she seemed she was, you know phenomenal in this so
0: the, the limb was also not shown as a impediments. No. Uh, right. Given that she got right. like kicked in that leg and it's like, Well it's not gonna hurt me so <laughs> good luck. That would've worked against a normal uh person. Uh normal's a bad word, I apologize there. A- against a typical person, but it does not against her, right?
2: Right. Well it was interesting too when she was a child, you know, learning learning martial arts and and uh, she goes to take on the big kid and he looks down at her leg and that you know immediately he's like, Oh, this is gonna be a, a cakewalk and she, you know, tosses his ass right so yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah realizing that uh she's got the moves anyway yeah cool
3: yeah good good another good another good episode sure where... i
2: mean so far it's like this has been you know for me this is like better than captain america so far or whatever that last thing was winter soldier's name what was that called the well last thing, we was, last thing we saw was loki no, I'm t- talking about comparing it to the other. Loki was good, too. Loki was amazing, too. Like
3: Yeah, I was Loki trying was- to sort of rank it in my mind a little bit. Because this is theoretically, even though we're only two weeks in, we're three episodes out of six in. So yeah. we are we are almost,
2: you know, uh, we are halfway in. Well, Christmas is coming. He's got to get that done. That was another interesting thing, too, was the, the Russian radio playing the Nutcracker Suite Was yeah. their as they're driving away and then of course after the scene afterwards is the dance of the sugar plum play- fairies playing as as the background music. So they definitely are working the Christmas theme in, you know.
3: Oh, no, I I said it last uh, episode for us. This this is uh this has been kind of great like the way that they've timed it out to yeah. kick it off and have it time out to heading towards real Christmas. I, yeah. I I'm not sure if you go back and watch this next summer if it'll have the same Feel of it, but just the I'll be home for Christmas part of it again. In this episode, we saw him have a a sort of kind of conversation with his youngest son, um, with, with uh, of course, Kate. Why would he for like
2: FaceTime? That's what I was surprised by.
3: <laughs> well, because I don't know if he can read lips either, right? And also, he's covered in bandages because he's been bashed true. around, true. But, um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that, that, um, you know, they've done a good job on this one. I've enjoyed it so far, but I, I found myself always sort of thinking, like, where does this rank for me? Where is it next to Division? Mm. Where is it next to Loki? Where is it next to uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Where is it next to what if, you know, um, what am I missing? Did I miss one? Is that all the shows? Yeah. I, yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, and you know, I, I think I'm I am I think I'm enjoying it maybe more so than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's so different feel-wise to Loki and and WandaVision, just because those were obviously less grounded, more, you know, uh, you know, uh fantasy science fiction y kind of stories. It's really hard to compare them apples to apples. I still feel like as much as I love uh, I love the character of Hawkeye. I really think Kate is a, a fun character, and I'm, I'm glad that mm-hmm. she's finally in the MCU. I really feel like so far the high water mark of the season for MCU stuff is it's still got to be Loki, mm-hmm. just because Tom Hiddleston Hell is yeah. yeah just magnetic. He's such a great performer, and then the chemistry that he found in that show with the other actors, you yeah. know, I still think Loki is the best show of the year for that.
2: Yeah, but my point was, it's still an enjoyable show. I could watch this on its own; like I wouldn't have to compare it to the other other shows at all, right? So yeah, yeah. You know, it's an eight or nine out of ten kind of deal, right?
3: Oh, absolutely, and that's the thing. Like, obviously, you don't, you know, I I don't want to raise, you know, lower one to raise the other or anything else. I think they're they're both fantastic. I just feel like if I had to to pick between them, I feel like Loki was the most substantive and probably the best caliber thing they've done so far, but. This has been really good. I'm I'm really looking forward to see seeing where they take it and, and how they stick the landing.
2: So have all three of us seen the the best movie of the year so far?
0: I have not. Um, <sighs> so we, we'll so do our, to keep it kind of light. We'll do our spoiler free version of it.
3: Sounds so good. Spo-
2: spoiler free version is Ghostbusters Afterlife for those of you listening at home. Ghostbusters
3: Afterlife. On. So uh, Tim and I went and saw Ghostbusters Afterlife along with our number one fan the other day and. It was uh, it was amazing. It was really good. It was really, really good. It's funny because, you know, it was obviously, you know, there was Ghostbusters in 1984. There's Ghostbusters 2. There was the rebooted attempt uh, a few years ago with the all-female cast, which I really enjoyed. And then this one was... was the animated Saturday morning cartoon. And, of course, yeah, the real Ghostbusters cartoons. I feel like in this case this is probably the straightest line from the original Mm -hmm. because, and it it does reference, they do reference very subtly things that happened in part two, but it really is very much a love letter to the first one, obviously being directed and co-written by Jason Reitman, the son of Ivan Reitman, uh, who was actually alive and on the set. Uh, uh, Jason was, you know, in in the 1980s working on this, uh, you know, being a kid on the, on the set of this with his, his dad. Um, it's, it is, it is a very loving and fan servicey without being ridiculous. Like it's it's just a well-told story that happens to be filled with great Easter eggs and references and, and, you know, tips of the hat to the original stuff, but it's also just a really good story. The young cast that they have was really, really good. Um I particularly, and uh, you know, Tim, we talked about it as we were sort of coming out of there. McKenna Grace, the young woman who plays Phoebe, the, the sort of the the main star of the of the film, the you know young woman, again, I think she's fifteen now, so she may have been like thirteen to fourteen while she was making this. Is she's really, really good? She's really, really talented. Uh, Finn Finn Wolfhard plays her brother, Finn, of course, from from Stranger Things. Um. You know, uh, and then of course the the two sort of main adult cast members are Carrie Coon, uh, who uh, you know from Leftovers and and lots of other stuff. She was uh, Proxima Midnight in the Avengers movies, uh, and Paul Rudd. Again, you can't miss with Paul Rudd, Man. Like he's hilarious. You know, Gary Gruberson. Like he's just he's great. Uh, you know, again to keep it all at a high level. It, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. It's it it ties into the plot and as well as the vibe of the original movie really really well. And you know, with it, again without spoiling too much, it, it sets the stage for they could continue this as a franchise if they if they feel like that there's enough to do there. And yeah, I I thought it was great. I really, I was surprised. I was I was kind of like, "Oh, maybe this will be a little too you know on the nose it'll 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 just be a vehicle to sort of get the band back together and whatever but it really isn't it's just a really good self-contained but referential uh story
0: yeah cool sounds good
3: yeah i mean again i obviously people have to use their judgment if you don't want to go to the theater don't go to the theater but i'm really glad that I had the opportunity to see it in a theater especially cuz I was lucky enough to go as a kid to go see the original in the theater at uh, at a friend's birthday party when I was little and uh yeah it really felt like it captured the 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 vibe of that really really well and I'm I'm really glad I got to see it and as soon as it gets out there onto the uh, the streaming services and the all the other ways you can see it dig in cuz it's it's well worth your time
2: yeah definitely a good movie we, that's all we can say about it <laughs> <laughs> We look forward to Jaime watching it, so we can have a more f-
3: f- fulsome conversation about it.
2: Yeah, but there was this part. We oh, we can't talk about that. And then there was the other part. And it was no, we no, old... can't talk about that. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then yeah, and then the... yeah. There was a cornfield. There was a cornfield. We can talk about the cornfield.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you can obviously extrapolate a lot from the trailers about just sort of the vibe of it and, you know, the, um, the sort of, you know, the touches that talk about the past and stuff like that. But really, it's it does a good job of, of referencing the past without being too deferential to it and looking forward. And I think that's where it kind of elevates from a lot of things that are sort of, uh, bringing back old material, you, you know, we've obviously seen that a lot on television and in movies the, last, the past few years. You know, this is kind of everything I wanted the, the rebooted Star Wars stuff to be, where there was references and even, you know, uh, you know, obviously character cameos and whatever stuff, but it wasn't reliant on that. And I feel like that's what's where Star Wars kind of missed the mark was that it was so reliant on that old stuff. Whereas this was really about, you know, yeah, that stuff happened, but like, where are we going from there?
2: (laughs) All right, so we move on to our watch
0: list. What do you say? Hells yeah. All right, let's get, I may go first. Mine is pretty quick and easy. There is an HBO original called Street Gang coming out on, uh, I think, regular HBO. I don't think this is Max, but despite its name, it's not, um, you know, the sequel to The Wire. This is actually... Documentary on how we got to uh, Sesame Street and how we sort of take it all for granted nowadays. But back in that time, it was a little bit unusual to have educational television that was meant to not only inform, but also, you know, be entertaining for children in the edutainment in sort of the purest form sort of thing. And how, at least from this trailer, it talks about things like, oh, it kind of wasn't popular in certain areas of uh, the country because uh, it showed a very racially Multi diverse cast together, and some people had a problem with that uh, back then. They certainly might now, but they'd uh, probably not be able to hold it back for that sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to this one. It comes out on December 13th, it looks like.
2: Cool. Yeah. It was uh, like 1970, I think, was when it came out. So I remember watching it on really fuzzy television, um, you know, off of like, I think, UF, UHF antenna because we couldn't even, we didn't even have cable back then. So,
3: no, yeah. I think it cool. came from PBS, right? In the States.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it was Channel Nineteen, or I forgot what channel it was. It was some really sort of blurry, fuzzy mm. channel. Mm-hmm. All the kids at school were talking about it. We didn't have, I guess, we didn't have cable at the time. Couldn't watch it. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. But I, you know, eventually when we got it, we started watching it for sure.
3: Yeah, I. It's funny the the point that you made, Jaime. I just saw somebody put up a clip about. I don't know if it was from the trailer for this or if it was just some from something else, but. I remember the seeing the clip where they reference at one point. You know, they've got the the ethnically diverse you know cast. Obviously, you know, uh, you know African Americans and white people and everything else all sort of standing on the street. Obviously, Latinos. And uh, at one point, there it's a Christmas thing, and they wish Mister Hooper, the local grocer, a happy Hanukkah. And I was like, yeah, that's not something you saw in nineteen seventy, yeah. right? Like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, well, it they does... even dealt
2: with Mr. Hooper when he, when the actor died, when he right? died.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, really interesting that they, you know, that it really was a show that just its existence, just the way that they were making it, just the way they put it all together really changed so much about how we see each other and how we understand each other and, and how we relate. So yeah, I'm, I am, I'm with you. I mean, I think this looks great. I'm, I'm way in on this.
2: Mm-hmm, for sure. Cool. All right, mine is, uh, again, World of the Worlds, the uh, the British-French uh, season series. Um, had, it just wrapped up the final episode, uh, and i got to say, you know, you often wonder, like, with, with sci-fi stories. This is, a, of course, a British production, so it's only meant to be two seasons long. Uh, I think it's like six episodes per season, maybe eight. Um, I, I didn't mention before, did I, that it, it stars Gabriel Byrne as the main character? Hmm. Yeah, so it's got some pretty good interesting actors in it. Um the lady that plays the American wife from um, Downton Abbey's in it too as his ex-wife. Uh but yeah, they they got all I'm gonna, all I'm going to say is that the the way they wrapped up the series was really good. I mean, it was it totally plausible, made sense. You might have seen it coming, I don't know, but uh but yeah, the the ending was really good and, you know, it's kind of what man you know like it 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 sort of gives you gives you uh pause to sort of wonder like you know you know how the how because how they get how the aliens arrive and and how the how they're they're this resolved is really interesting so uh it's yeah that's all i'm gonna say watch it (laughs) cool
3: my uh my item for this week is Lost in Space season three. So they dropped that on December the first. It is only eight episodes as opposed to the ten episodes that season one and two are. Uh, but I've made it through the whole thing as of last night. I oh, finished you watched it, the it all. The last couple. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we're recording. I was going to
2: ask if it all comes out once because it seems to be trending lately is to give you, like, you know, them once a week kind of deal, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, since this is an original Netflix production and this is how they, they dropped them in the past, I guess they're continuing with that. So they dropped all eight final episodes. On December first, I managed to finish it by the fourth, so hooray me! Um, or also, hey, what a loser! Did you and... sleep? Or yeah,
2: <laughs> no, sleep. I yeah, didn't watch The Beatles uh, Get Back. I yeah.
3: haven't watched Get Back yet, although I listened to a pod the other day uh, while I was out about it, and I'm now I want to see it even more than I did before, which was to say a lot. So, um, yeah, Lost in Space season three. It uh, you know it, it was a little conflicted when they announced that this was going to be the final season. And I think we talked about it before. There's only so long you can stretch a premise like Lost in Space. You know, you're lost, you get saved, you lost, you get saved. They've been lost and saved like a bunch of times over the first two to three seasons. So I, I think this was the right number of episodes in the end. It's only 28 episodes for the entire run. The production quality is quite good. The acting quality is very high. The story is quite well told. And they stuck the landing and that's, I, I think you were just talking about that for war of the worlds, Tim. I, th- I think that's one of the things that we now appreciate. And in, especially in the wake of things like lost game of Thrones, we do appreciate it more. So now when these, these characters we invest in, when these stories are told, stick the landing. And this one really does in a nice and, and, Mostly believable pro- premise of a, a way to finish it up. there is one quibble that I have that perhaps you and I Tim will talk about once you finally get through this. but um, yeah, it wraps up in a very in a very nice way and it is a really good. Final season. I, I think. I think now that I've you know watched the final season and also seen the totality of the show, it's it's really it's a quality show. I would I would definitely recommend it. And again, it's not a huge investment. You're talking 28 episodes, less than an hour a pop. You could probably bang out the whole thing in a couple of weeks. It's definitely worth people who are into quality sci-fi. Again, like the acting quality is high. Um, you know, Molly Parker is so talented and and so beautiful and so talented and uh and the rest of the cast again everybody particularly the young actors so you know obviously started when they were sort of you know in their younger teens they've got some of them it's been you know five or six years since they started doing this and now they're they're you know young adults and they really it's kind of gratifying and satisfying to watch them evolve over that time too it'll it'll be weird too for people who now watch it you know, bang, 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 season one, two, three, because you'll see, you know, the character, the actor playing Will Roberts, uh, Robinson goes from you know a sort of a gawky sort of thirteen-year-old to like he's looking pretty mannish by the time this thing finishes. He's like taller, he grows like a half of a, you know a foot over the course of the show. And uh, I know. was gonna
2: say like how much time is supposed to elapse between the between the seasons? Like is, so, is, is there like it's been six months and now here we are? And yeah, you know, so got a beard growing season two and,
3: ends on a bit of a cliffhanger of of um, you know they get lost again and the kids are separated from their parents for reasons that don't need to be gotten into. But uh, yeah, so the the time lapse between the end of season two and the beginning of season three is one year. So even that stretches credulity uh, just a smidge because when you see the actors, like, uh, you know, again, the actors who play Will and Judy and uh, Penny, they look different. Because it's been, I think, three years or two years since they did the last one. Obviously, the pandemic being the pandemic and everything else. But, uh, yeah, they, de- they definitely look a little more mature than they did previously. But if you can suspend the disbelief from that stuff, uh, it's, yeah, again, they are all great. The, as young performers, they were all really stand-up. Mina Sunwall, who plays uh, Penny who has also been on Legends of Tomorrow this last couple of seasons as a mixed daughter, is... Really good. Like she, I think, has potential to be a really big star down the road. Like she's she's got some charisma to her, and she really steps to the fore in this in this season in a really interesting way. But they they give them all really a good opportunity to shine. All the, all the lead actors get a a moment in the sun that's really good. And yeah, it's it's kind of everything you want from a last season. So can't recommend it highly enough. Thanks for turning me on to it, Tim. It was uh, it was a fun ride, and and uh, I'm I'm glad I went on it. Glad
2: glad you binged it, right? Well,
3: I mean, I binged season one after the fact, and then I watched season two when it dropped and season three when it dropped.
2: All righty. Cool. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, if, you want, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPKNews. And Jaime, if people were in touch with you.
0: Hi, Jaime? I do
2: Those? not see Jaime
3: on our uh,
2: podcast notes anymore on our notes page. I see him. I think he's trying to talk. I see. I see lights moving. Well, he's dead with hair on <laughs> Twitter and I don't know the internet's. So dead with hair. And he's in Seattle, so I like that. So my name is Timitra, D I M M I T R A and uh, I'll be on Twitter. That's where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see
0: you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spockcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash
2: Chat this one before. Be right back, he says. Oh, wait, it says be right back. L O L. We ended without you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I would have vamped for longer. I mean, come on. Yeah. Now we can talk about. We can talk about. Um, Ghostbusters. The unfiltered takes on Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. And how about that scene where that guy shows up and... Oh yeah, my god, that thing where that.
3: the character dies, I can't believe. Oh, yeah. oh my mm. god. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, and yeah.
3: that one character that comes back from the dead.
2: Hmm. And when they do that thing in the desert, you know? <laughs> the cornfield. The cornfield! Yeah. The cornfield, yes. Exactly. With Paul Rudd, the sexiest man alive. Yeah.
3: I'm I still not sure how that one worked out But sure <laughs> Okay As I said, until Idris, uh, Idris Elba it Leaves the planet, sorry
2: Yeah Where is this guy? This guy This Burb guy Burb He says Burb He's getting package deliveries
3: at uh, I don't know 8.30 at night on a Saturday in Seattle Oh, well, who knows
2: Don't know we just end the show what do you think mm. <laughs> well that'll show them yeah. well Jaime says goodbye everybody <laughs> <laughs> see you next time that's right how you doing what does he say what does he say
0: how's it going
2: how's it going how's it going yeah. it's going real good <laughs> I bet couldn't be here for the end oh man <laughs>
3: alright That's is going to turn into the Jaime spoof fest at the end that's great that's great stuff
2: yeah all right. Well, we you we know we haven't talked about in a while? Mm. Paw Patrol.
3: No, no, that's because that's his... T- we don't want to step on his toes. That's his thing.
2: Oh, that's his thing? We yeah. shouldn't talk about Paw Patrol when he's not here? Okay. I mean, you know, that's kind of his bit. That's true. That's true. Whether he likes it or not. <laughs>
3: if it, if it, even if it's not his bit, we're going to force it on him. It's his bit. <laughs> All
2: right. All right. Well, I'm going to sign off. Okay. Okay, bye. Kay, see ya.
1: Next time. Bye. 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 And I'm back. Oh, meeting's over. I guess I'll
0: fill this in, Tim, for you so you can loop it in. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.